right, we're going to talk about Acts chapter 15. So um, just another little small reminder. Obviously, we're just trekking through a chapter at a time. Next week, it'll be 16. If you ever have the chance to read the chapter before, like 15, if you ever had the chance to read it before you got here today, probably help because I'm not going to read the whole chapter just to get the story and understand what's going on so everything kind of fits in place because it's, it's, there's a lot of information that's in that just really short chapter and you'll find it very, very helpful. I'm going to read just a few of the verses that we have here from Acts chapter 15. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. Now I'm going to skip down to verse number 5 and finish all the way, let's see, to 11. So that's all I'm going to go for. So here we go. The council at Jerusalem. This is the first and greatest church council that ever took place. Acts 15, verse number 1. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers. Here's where it gets really important. What were they teaching? Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, notice what comes next. You cannot be saved. This is what's driving this entire first council. You cannot be saved. How do you get saved? In their opinion, you had to be circumcised. Verse number two. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go. They're in Antioch. Send them to Jerusalem, right? So now they're going to go to Jerusalem to discuss this amongst the elders and the apostles who are there. Skip down to verse number five. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. Here's the law of Moses, the Bible. It must be required to obey. The apostles and elders met to consider this question, and after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. He said, brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe that happened in Acts chapter 10 when he went to the uh, Cornelius' house, okay? This whole Gentile house. So this is what he's talking. So you can refer back to 10 because that was a momentous occasion. All right, verse 8. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit to them just as he had done, did to us. Important distinction here, too. The Holy the salvation is not a product. Like, when you get saved, it's not like God says, boom, here you go. Like, here's a Krispy Kreme donut or whatever. You're saved. Salvation is the Holy Spirit in your life. It's God in your life. That's salvation. Another important distinction that they make here. So, verse 9 again. Uh, he made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then. Why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, exclamation point. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. It is by grace that you are saved just as you are. My community group asked me, um, I think it was a couple weeks ago I was in. They said, you know, John, have you ever got like a scathing letter or an email about something that you had said on a Sunday or something that people really got torqued off about? And I said, you know what? I've received a few things over the years, but only one comes clearly to mind and I'll never forget it. And you know what the message was about that day? It was about the grace of God. 
And it was from a person that I do not know who was visiting this area from Phoenix, Arizona, and who wrote me a very long email back, very long, included many, many, many scriptures. Because obviously, they knew the Bible, but they were offended when I talked about grace. Now, this person believed in grace, but they had no belief in grace whatsoever. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. We say, theologically speaking, we believe in grace. But then we live out something totally against what we say we believe. Grace is grace. Grace is something that's 100%. And you know what that means, everybody? That means this. There's nothing I can do to earn salvation. And then there's nothing I can do, since I couldn't do anything to earn it, there's nothing I can do to lose it. So I can receive the grace of Almighty God and go out and do absolutely anything that I want to do. That, theologically speaking, is sound doctrine on the grace of God. And it's that point that I could go out and do anything I want to do. Anything. That is very, very offensive. But it's what Acts chapter 15 is really all about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to a very... Now, we talked about the fact that we're having a, a church business meeting tonight. Well... Acts 15 is about a church business meeting too. And it's very famous. And the um, topic that was talked about is extraordinarily important. Now, Lord, what is it that we have to learn as a church today from Acts chapter 15? God, what is it that each one of us here individually might have to learn today about Acts chapter 15 uh, that will make a difference in our lives right here, right now? Speak to us, God. We need and we always need to hear from you we need to hear from you in christ's name amen there are a number of famous church councils throughout history some people say there's seven of them but there's no church council major church you know group coming together none of them are more important than the one that happened in acts chapter 15 it's famous and the topic that they discussed in Acts chapter 15 and the opinion of God, which is why God includes it here in his word, is there's nothing more important. There's nothing more valuable because it talks about salvation. And it also subsequent to that talks about how do we grow spiritually, which is very, very important. How does somebody get saved and how does somebody spiritually grow from when they get saved? And that's what Acts chapter 15 is all about. Now, what is the driving force that they came together about? As you read through the Bible, you see that even Paul's letters, they were sparked by a problem. So a problem arises, and then there's a council, the meeting that goes on, or in this case, in Paul, he would write a letter about it. So all the church councils, because there was a problem. So the first one, there was a problem, and they had to address the problem. What is the driving problem behind this? Anybody? Who knows it? I just read it a few moments ago. What's the issue? Circumcision. circumcision. How many people here have heard full-blown sermon, uh, sermons on circumcision? Anybody? One person right here. Okay. All right. Uh, it's about the same, roughly, in the first service. I, I have never in my life heard a sermon on circumcision, although you find it all over the place in the Bible, and maybe it's quite understandable why we don't have messages on circumcision. I need to say this right up front just to get this uh, out in the open. Um, there are two sermons that actually I have heard on circumcision, and I gave them both. And... Um, uh, in the first sermon, and it's the reason why I'm a, slight, I'm a little bit nervous now, and I want you to know this, because 
in the first message that I ever gave on circumcision, I was trying to make the point that circumcision basically is from a group of people who were pushing it here. It represents a whole slew, a whole body, a bunch of rules. Are you following me? So there's all these other rules that go along with it. So this group of people who are called the circumcision group in the Bible, well, that just represents circumcision, but there's tons of rules. And so it made sense at the time, although when I did it, all of a sudden it didn't make sense. I said, I said this in a message. I said, circumcision, I did my hands just like I'm getting ready to do right now, just represents the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> And it was the moment that I put my hands up like that and said those words that I just said, ooh, that was bad. And the place, I mean, the whole, we just lost it. I think, for, I think it went on for close to five minutes. And I was red in the face. I actually sat down for a few moments because I didn't know if I was going to be able to continue. And so I'm telling you, I'm a little bit nervous. And I also want to say, anything that I say that is goofy like that, it's been unplanned. I don't know that this is, and I hope it doesn't happen. You pray for me, please, that I don't do it. And, but this, maybe this is one of the reasons we don't talk about it. Um, it can't be ignored, though, can it? Because it's all over the place in both Old and New Testament. The, the, the first and most famous and most important church council that ever took place, this was the driving reason behind it, was circumcision. In Acts chapter 15, Romans, the book of Romans, talks about circumcision. Almost the entire book of Galatians is all about, I mean, the driving force, the reason it was written was about circumcision. Philippians, 1 Corinthians, on and on it goes. Circumcision, it's all over the place. The Apostle Paul, we have talked so much about him recently, obviously because we're in the series about the life of Paul. We've talked about his credentials. We talked about, you know, how smart he is, that he studied under the most famous teacher of his time, Gamaliel. We've talked about all this kind of stuff. So when he lists his credentials, I put it on your little blue sheet there, right? When he lists his credentials of all the things that he could say about himself, what is the first thing that he says? Philippians 3, 5. What's his number one credential he listed for us? Anybody? Shout it out. I have been circumcised. My number one credential in life is that I have been circumcised. He gets very upset in the book of Galatians. Very upset with a group of people who are pushing and obsessing about circumcision. Now, you maybe have never read this verse before. Maybe you didn't realize that the Bible would ever even talk this way before. But he gets so mad at a group of people for, for a very good reason. This is what he says in Galatians 5 to us. Why don't these agitators, these circumcision people, right? Why don't these agitators, obsessive as they are about circumcision, just go all the way and castrate themselves? Wow. I mean, he's a little torqued off. He's ticked off. Why? Because they're changing the message and the mission of Jesus Christ. They're distorting it. They're changing it because it's very important. Look, they said in Acts 15, verse number 1, unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. So here's the thing, everybody, you need to know. In their day, unless you did this, unless you abided by this rule, which they felt was totally God, unless you did this thing, they said you can't get into heaven. And in addition to that, they wouldn't let you into their church. They would ostracize you, ostracize you, unless you had been circumcised. They would keep people out. Now, look, I'm not exactly sure how they did that. <laughs> like, we've got a newcomer's table out there, right? <laughs> I mean, did you stop by the table on the way in? Then they said, okay, drop them. We're gonna... <laughs> I don't know. 
Was there a whole circumcision check-in crew or something? Did they look at somebody and say, okay, you're not circumcised, but we can, we can handle that real quick? I, I, you know, but this, is, this was very, I don't know. We think about this and we say, oh my gosh, 2,000 years ago, silly, silly first century Christians, so regressive. I mean, they're just not socially progressive and on it like we are, you know, all of us in this room, right? We say, so silly circumcision we all know come on that was their issue of their day that was the defining issue of their day i can right now mention one or two issues in this place right now and immediately this entire room is going to go tense just like that because we have a couple defining issues of our day too and i'm not going to get into them because that's not the purpose of this message but i do want you to know if you look back and say oh silly foolish first century Christians, why did you discuss that? I want you to know that we have a few issues that are also hotly debated, fiercely debated, and that cause tremendous anger within and without the church. And I get emails and I get phone calls and people say, I would like to come to your church. I have one question first. So we're not that far off, are we? There are issues that are hotly debated. Circumcision just happened to be their issue of the day. Now, why is Paul so upset? I mentioned it a few moments ago. He's very upset, and here's the reason why. Paul thoroughly believed, and you know this if you've read much of the New Testament, that salvation was by grace and by grace alone. That has serious ramifications because we tend to be a people who say, okay, unless you act in a certain way that aligns itself with my understanding, then I don't, I don't think you're acting in the right way and you can't be saved. This is what's going on here. But grace is grace. It's 100% free. It means that you accept it, you trust in it, and you believe in it. And it doesn't matter what you do before or even what you do after it because it's a gift that you have received. Well, should you carry on and do anything you want after it? No, you shouldn't, but you can. Book of Romans makes that really clear. You can. You can. Should you? No, but you can. Because it's grace. That's what it means. And to say anything else distorts the message and the mission of Jesus Christ. And Paul was very agitated that somebody would tamper with the foundational message of Jesus Christ. And that's why he's so amped up. And he's telling people to go out and castrate themselves. If I play any part, think... Thank everybody. If I play any part, any part whatsoever in salvation by my effort or the things that I do or the way that I think, whatever, if I play some part in it, doesn't it breed pride in me? Isn't that what Ephesians chapter 2 is trying to drive at? Look at it. This is what it says. I've got it on your outline. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works. Why? So that nobody can boast. So nobody can have pride. So if I'm doing a certain thing and I'm living a certain way, right, and I'm believing in the Bible and I'm believing in Jesus Christ, and we've got somebody over here who is just like radically believing and doing and acting, whatever, that's totally different, but won't I eventually begin to look at that person and say, well, hey, feel better about myself? feel some pride in myself. This is what it breeds. 
We have to thoroughly, what Paul is saying, we have to thoroughly embrace grace all the way to the depths of it. Now let's go back to circumcision for a second, and let's just talk about that. Where did circumcision come into play in the Bible in the first place? Can anybody remember where this whole thing got started with circumcision? Just shout it out. Abraham, right, in Genesis chapter 17. What happened immediately prior to Genesis chapter 17? I'll tell you what happened. Abraham had a situation with his wife's maidservant. Her name was Hagar. So God had said to Abraham and Sarah, this is very important. God had said to Abraham and Sarah, I'm going to bless you. And through you, the whole world's going to be blessed and you're going to have children. Amazing thing. It's totally what they wanted. Totally what they've been praying for, dying for, wanting very, very badly to have a child. And God said, you're going to have a child. Okay. Now they're getting up in years. And Sarah's like, I, I, this, I'm, you know, I'm past, right? I'm past childbearing years. It's not going to happen. And so she does what's common in her world. She takes her maidservant, she takes her maid, and her name is Hagar, and she comes to Abraham. She says, okay, Abraham, raise up a family through my maid, Hagar. It's very common. You look at now and say, oh, my gosh, how could you do that? But everybody did it back then. The only problem is they weren't trusting in God. And so Abraham doesn't put up much of a fight, actually. He says, okay. And so he does. And then the whole thing, big problem, big problem, big problem, turns a big problem. And we won't get into that, okay? But it has, even to this day, <laughs> it has a massive problem, the Middle East, okay? It has a massive problem even to this very day. But here's what I find fascinating, all right? Think about it. That all happened in Genesis 16. In Genesis 17, God says to Abraham, I forgive you. Let's get back on the right track. But we're going to do something. We're going to do something new. We're going to circumcise you. What's the message behind that? What's the message? I told you to trust me in a certain area, okay, of your life, and you missed, you, you did not, you distrusted me. And you, okay, I just, I'm going to blunt, okay, you used a certain part of your body to show that distrust. We're, we're going to clip you so that from this point on, you'll always, and believe me, he always, for the rest of his life, he remembered this. Okay, it wasn't like something he was going to forget. So is it the circumcision that's holy? Or is what God is really saying, the important thing here is the message behind the circumcision, and that is to trust God. Oh, yes, every day. When I look at this certain part of my body, I will remember and I will never forget that I should always trust God. Is that it? Of course that's it. There's nothing holy about circumcision. The holy thing, the righteous thing about it is the message behind it, and that is to trust God. Is there something holy about all the rules that we read in God's blessed word? No. That's why when they go to Jesus, can you please give us your number one rule so that we can follow it? We have so many rules. We just want to know what's on the top. So we'll make sure we pay close to careful attention to that. And what does he say back to them? He's, he says, here's the number one rule. Love God. Love is not a rule, everybody. It's not a rule. So what's behind it? God says in the Ten Commandments, the top, mo the most famous rules, right? Don't steal. Is there something holy about not stealing? The point is, God says, don't steal. Trust me instead. Don't covet somebody else. Instead, I want you to trust me instead. I want you to trust me by putting me first. 
There's nothing holy about the rules. It's what's behind the rules that we have to think deeper. And when we become obsessive, as Paul says here in the Bible, when we become obsessive about the rules, we get off the mark. But when we think about the message behind the rules, but having trust in God, then we're on the mark. Don't get obsessive about the rules. And that's why this is so important. And this is why this constantly points us back to the grace of God. When we become so obsessive and so frustrated about rules, we are getting away, we're moving away from the message of Jesus Christ. Christ is calling us to trust him, to trust him, to trust him. But when we start focusing on rules, 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 we get away from the trust, trust, trust. It's really important. Um, it makes me think of a story that I heard just this, uh, this past week. I think this lady here in the front row actually emailed it to me. But uh, his wife comes home. It's late one night. And um, she comes in, and uh, she was supposed to be away, I guess. And the husband, you know, didn't know she was coming home or whatever. So she comes home, and she comes in, walks into the bedroom, and she goes to their bedroom, and she looks in the bed, and there's four legs in the bed. And immediately she knows her husband is sleeping with somebody else. So she grabs a baseball bat that they happen to keep in the room, and she just wails away, just wails away on that. And when she gets done, she goes in the kitchen to grab a stiff drink. And she walks in, and there's her husband. And he said, hey, honey, your parents came over. I gave them our bedroom. Trust. It's all about trust. Proverbs 3, famous verse in all the Bible. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding. And here's why I really want to go with this, everybody. This is why I really want to go with this. I tend to always trend towards trusting in myself. So it says don't lean on your own understanding. Well, that's me. I mean, I'll have brief times where I'm like, oh, I'm totally trusting in God. It's all about God. But then I trend to come back this way to leaning on my own understanding and trusting in myself and trusting in my human efforts. That's what I tend to do. It's just, a, it, it's just a subtle pull. And sometimes it happens in such a subtle way that I don't even recognize it, but it takes place in my life. Let's look at Galatians chapter 3. Paul just writes, this is, this is awesome. This is about God's grace. This is about spiritual growth. This is about salvation, about spiritual growth. It says, you foolish Galatians, which basically him saying in the, in the Greek, he said, you're not thinking. Again, so we're talking about thinking. He says, you're not thinking. Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Paul's saying, I told you about Jesus Christ dying on the cross, right? I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit? Salvation, remember? Okay. Did you receive salvation? Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law? Did you, do, did you get that because you obeyed all the rules? Are you a saved person because you obeyed all the rules? Or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Yes, I am. Have you suffered so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing. Does God give you his Spirit? Check this out, everybody. Does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey all the rules? This is his question. Or because... You have believed what you have heard. I want to try to conclude this morning by just talking, rambling actually a few minutes with you for a second about the prodigal son. Amazing, 
amazing story. On the surface, it's very simple. But Jesus is so brilliant. God's word is so brilliant that there's so many layers down that are so deep with this story of the prodigal son. So if you haven't read it before, Luke chapter 15, I'll do a brief overview. You should take it and read it. But you could think and think and think about this. So, and you would have to understand some cultural thing. I'll give you a couple cultural things that maybe might help, but I can't do the full-blown. All right. You've got a father who's very wealthy, and he's got two sons, an older son and a younger son. The younger son comes to his father, and he says to him, I will take my, I'd like to take my inheritance now. Give me my money now. In his day and age, that's the same thing as him saying to his father, look, you're not dead, but I really wish you were, (laughs) which is highly disrespectful and could have gotten him killed. You need to know that in his community, in his culture 2,000 years ago, could have gotten him killed because it's such a disrespectful thing to do. Okay, you're not dead. I think I'll take the money now because you give it to me. I want to go. And then it says he goes out and he lives riotous living, right? So you can only imagine what riotous living is, but he just does it. He's binging. You understand what I'm saying? Don't shake your head, but you know other people who have binged, right? You haven't binged. None of our, we're not bingers here, but you know people or you watch about them on TV somewhere or something, one of those shows, TMZ or something like these bingers, right? They just go riotous living, just living, woo, just, just carrying on. And that's what he does. Well, his money runs out. And when his money runs out, what does he do? What does this young Jewish boy do? He can't find a job. The only job that he can find is working for a pig farmer. Now, if you don't understand the historical ramifications of that, let me just say, it doesn't work. You do, that's the, 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 the most appalling thing you could possibly do would to be work around pigs. And so he becomes a pig farmer, and he's feeding the pigs, and he's longing to fill his stomach with the food that he's feeding the pigs. And so finally, he, it dawns on him, oh, my gosh, I've been so dumb. I mean, he, he lived in a way that he could care less about the consequences. He could care less about the disrespect. He could care less about anybody else. He did his own thing, and now he's hit bottom. And so he's, I'll go back to my dad, and I'll say, hey, dad, can I just be one of your hired hands? I'll pay off my debt, everything that I owe to you. I don't, you know, obviously, I'm never going to be your son again, but could I just be a hired hand? And so he's, with all the slop on him, he starts making the trek back. And we're told that the dad sees him when he's a long way off and he sees him with all the pig slop on him and everything and his dad breaks out in a dead run. Older men do not run in that culture. They do not run in that culture. So what's he doing? He's sprinting towards him because the father could care less what anybody thinks about him. He could care less. The only thing he cares about is he loves that son. He doesn't care what he's done. He's going to get to him. And he comes to the son. He wraps his arm around him and he yells back to the servants, Put the, get the best robe. Who has the best robe in the house? Who would that be? Who would, whose, robe, whose robe would that be? Get my robe and put it on. Put, sandals on, put a ring on his finger. We're going to have a huge feast. The feast in the Bible represents the kingdom of God. It represents heaven. This boy is coming right in. He not, he, he's got all the junk on him. We're not even going to give him a shower. We're going to just take him straight into heaven right now. We're going to have this major feast right now. He is here. We got that one? That's younger brother. Let's talk about older brother for a second. Older brother's out in the field. Older brother's always been doing the right thing. Always been abiding by the rules, right? Always doing the right thing. So he hears a big ruckus going on back at the house, and he says to the hired servants, right, says, what's going on? He says, well, your, your, your young brother, you're the wild man. He's come back. He's, your dad's throwing a big party for him, man. Put the robe on him, put the shoes, you know, sh- just took him right on in. And so the older brother goes up, and he refuses. Check this out. He refuses to go into the feast. What's the feast represent? Heaven. He refuses to go in. The father comes out says, son, come on in. Your brother's back. And the And the older brother says this. I've been here all the time working hard. I've been here obeying all the rules. 
and you're throwing a feast for him. Now, both of them want the exact same thing. Younger and older want the exact same thing. They both want the money, don't they? The younger wants the money, give it to me now, disrespectful. The older one's like, I mean, he's all, he's looking all put together, right? But he wants the money too. Hey, Dad, you cannot take your money and your robe and all of your stuff and give it to this person who's totally worthless. They don't get it. They both want the exact same thing. Here's the thing to think about. The younger brother was separated from God because of his bad works. But eventually he realizes it and he goes into the feast and receives the grace of God. The older brother was separated from God for his good works. And he never enters the feast. Do you ever feel like God owes you? Because that's the way the older brother felt. God owes me. Okay? Here's the thing. When I'm the younger brother, you don't have to tell me I'm the younger brother. Like, I know it. I just know it. It's very clear. When anybody's acting like the younger brother, it's not like, mm, are they the younger brother or older brother? No, you know it, don't you? Because it's clear. It's loud and proud. And it's running wild. How do you figure out if you're the older brother? How do you figure that one out? That's a really hard one to discern. Now, in this story, we're either the younger brother or the older brother. We've got two options. Jesus, when he walked this earth and he held church services, he held gatherings, who showed up? Younger brothers or older brothers? Youngers or olders? Who showed up? So why did we have Luke 15 in the first place? Luke 15, verse number 1. So Jesus told a story because there were so many Pharisees that were mad that Jesus Christ was constantly hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, younger brothers, younger brothers. Jesus says at one point to the Pharisees, he said, the tax collectors and the sinners are going to enter into the kingdom of God before you. Are you serious? That's crazy. You've got here the older brother who is separated from God with no resolution to his separation because of his bad works? No. He was separated because of his good works. Here's where Paul is coming down on this whole thing about distorting the message and why he's talking to people about castrating themselves and getting angry and upset. Jesus Christ was constantly surrounded by younger brothers in his ministry. By and large, in the United States of America, who comes to church? Younger brothers or older brothers? Older brothers. Older brothers. How have people like me, preachers, or how has any of us who are followers of Christ changed the message and the mission of God that younger brothers feel like, I'm not welcome there. I'm totally welcome with Jesus but I'm not welcome there. Also, think about this. The people who raised the question in Acts chapter 15 and then all the way throughout the New Testament when the circumcision thing comes in, are they spiritually growing or do you think they're spiritually stalled? Would you give a guess at that? Just from reading it? I mean, they're stuck, aren't they? They're stuck. So this message today is about salvation, which is all by grace, and it's how I can grow spiritually. 
I'm going to tie it up this way. So I'm going to tie the whole thing up, okay? I tend, I trend, always tend, and I always trend towards being self-righteous. So your fill in the blank is, is how do you get saved? By believing. The Bible's clear on that. It's all about grace. It's all about grace. When I started this off and I said I could mention a few issues right now and this whole room would go tense, I want you to know. I don't care what side of the aisle you stand on on those divisive issues. I want to tell you this. According to God's word, and it's clear. It's not like foggy. It's totally clear. Salvation does not hinge on circumcision or anything else. It's all about grace. And to say it hinges on anything else besides that is to severely distort the message of Jesus Christ. It's about believing. Point two, what do I need to do? How do I grow? By continually, vigilantly repenting of my self-righteousness. By going to God and say, God, would you show me the older brother that is inside of me? Because I have a really hard time figuring it out myself. We become very stuck. When somebody becomes stuck spiritually, we say, okay, well, are you spending you know, quiet time with God? It's very important. Are you praying right? Are you, you know, the things, the clear things that God talks about is where are you doing those things right? I just want to add one really important thing to the list that caused the first major and most famous church council, and it was causing people to be severely stuck and causing the Apostle Paul to talk about people castrating themselves. And that is this, self-righteousness. I am a self-righteous person. I just am. And the only way that I, because I can't see it, it's not clear to me. When I'm the younger brother, it's totally clear. But when I'm in the older brother, it's not clear to me. The way that I'm going to grow spiritually and the way that I'm going to keep myself from distorting the message of Jesus Christ is to go to God and say, God, would you please help me to see how I am having an attitude like the older brother so this doesn't happen. You know, God's word is so clear. He's like, I'm coming back for a glorious church. I'm coming back for this phenomenal church. What, what kind of church would that be? Wouldn't it be the kind of church that Jesus was leading when he walked this earth during his ministry? Wouldn't it be that kind of place? That's the kind of church I want to be a part of because primarily it's the church that Jesus Christ wants us to be a part of. And the only way, the only way that that's going to happen is if I beg of God, show me, Lord, how I'm being like the older brother. I don't need help when I'm the younger brother, but I need desperate help when I'm the older brother because it'll change the message. It'll change a church. It'll stall you out. and You'll be so stuck, spirits, it's not going to happen. We've got to go to God. It's not something that we talk about that's, hey, it's exciting because God's going to begin to reveal things to you and those things are going to begin to hurt and you're going to have to wrestle with that. It's going to be painful. We have communion this morning, okay? I'm going to ask those that help me with communion to come on up. I'm going to explain communion, and then I'm going to ask you uh, to do something. We have just a few, few moments left. I'm going to ask that after you take communion, everybody, we take communion, if you might just return to your seat for a moment, go somewhere, and think about this. Maybe come before God. God, would you please show me the older brother that is in me so that I do not distort your message and I do not slow my spiritual growth that you're trying to work in my life. I just want to offer that to you.
to do. So communion here is open to everybody. I want you to know that. It's open to absolutely everybody that's here. We'll have three stations up here, and there'll be a plate of bread, wafers, and you'll just take the wafer, piece of bread, and you'll just lightly dip it into the cup, step aside, and take it. And I encourage you after you do that, just to take a few brief moments and see if God doesn't say something to you about this all-important topic. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you again so much for your word. Sometimes, Lord, um, your word calls us to do very hard things. Like, Father, for me to pray this morning, oh God, show me how I'm the older brother. That's not necessarily an exciting thing, Lord, for me to do. But it's so vital, so necessary. God, I won't pray for every single person that's going to pray that prayer this morning and ask you, Lord, to please give wisdom, give insight, give encouragement. We do not want to do anything, Jesus, that distorts your message in any way whatsoever. We want to be the people. We want to be the church, God, that you are calling us to be. We want to keep growing spiritually. Help us. Now, Lord, about communion. Jesus, you broke your body for us. You shed your blood. You paid a very high price. I ask your blessing upon the eating of this bread and the drinking of this cup for your honor and your glory. And I ask all of this in your holy name. Amen.